from Ennui. This is Ennui Talk. You can support the show and other Ennui projects by subscribing to Ennui Plus on Patreon. But for now, sit down and enjoy. Welcome back to everybody's favorite podcast, the Ennui Talk podcast. And we are back with one of my oldest online friends, I would say. You know, we've been been i think it was 2017 that i first had you on the podcast i first reached out and um i was very surprised that you said yes you know me is like a 130 subscriber channel i only haven't even hit 300 yet and you know um but you know we're getting there um young crip you are back on the on we talk podcast how are things yeah man what's going on this has been uh a long overdue episode and quite frankly you were the first person uh, in my shitty memory that I have, that I can recall, to ever ask me, uh, hey, do you want to be on my, my podcast? And the feeling that gave me at the time was such a fucking, like, whoa, isn't it people, would people care what I have to, what, uh, like, anything that I say? That's awesome. That's, a, and that was so long ago now, but ever yeah. since then, you have... You have taken off, like absolutely. Like, what around what um, Twitter follower okay, um, number do you have right now? Uh, I'm thinking I'm at eighty six thousand right now. Holy fucking shit! Yeah. And like in a two year span, you've grown just like absolutely, like huge, huge, huge. And as a Twitter personality, and that's very like before we get into anything else, I find that. The concept of a Twitter personality, very, very interesting because you see so many accounts that are like hundreds of thousands of followers and you'll, and there's like no link in their, um, in their bio or anything. It's like, so yep. what are they promoting? Is, are they just putting out free content to give people a laugh on Twitter? I just find, yeah, it's just very interesting to me. Yeah. I try not to, I don't know. I think now in my, whatever you want to call it, career, quote unquote, whatever, uh, I'm now hitting this point uh, that feels kind of borderline existential, where it's like, okay, mm. obviously there's something here, but what? What is it, and what kind of content creator am I trying to be? Because, I don't know. I've, I've, never, <laughs> I've never had a plan. I've just been the fucking Heath Ledger joker of whatever twitter just like making jokes having fun and do it like you said do we shit for for free because it's just you know fun it makes people laugh because in terms of content you have experimented a bit like you've got a podcast yeah. right now uh, i remember a long time ago you were doing um mostly story time videos yep. and you've like ex with your youtube content in general you've you know experimented etc cetera, etc cetera. Yep, yep. um but twitter's been your your base, a hundred percent. Like yeah. that's where I get, that's where the connections are made as well. Like nobody makes connections through YouTube comments, but no. it's like, you haven't made what I would call traditional content for people to sort of like grasp onto or to make those connections. Like yeah. you become like, you become quite good friends and acquaintances with all these people, even I look up to and I, who inspire me just through making shitty jokes on Twitter, which yeah. is very, very <laughs> interesting. I had a discussion with um, Matt Tabor from the Crate Unknown, who you actually on um, a guest on about yes. a, a few months ago. 
Um, and we were discussing that how interesting it is that people like, we specifically mentioned um, Call Me Carson, how putting out shitty, shitty, just like shit posts on Twitter is a marketing strategy. And how 10 years ago that just like, just the idea of that, like, hey, mum and dad, I'm just going to post like shit on social media. And that's how I'm going to grow my 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 fan base. Right. That like ten years ago, that's just unfathomable. Yeah, it's it's really impressive uh, because whether or not I knew what I was doing subconsciously, what I was doing was essentially that was just making dumb shitty jokes for the sake of just <laughs> dumb shitty jokes, and people gravitate towards that. You know. Um, if, uh, my my own little philosophy on it is people like what feels genuine and authentic. I mean, maybe that's basic knowledge shit, you know, and uh, I, I, obviously there's a market for everybody and I hate putting it that way, but uh, I, I just do shit because it's funny and I like it and I think people gravitate towards that uh, when they see it and yeah, I, I've just been experimenting with random things seeing what is fun what isn't what sticks what doesn't and that that's been my whole process with creating and doing shit so it's interesting like that's compl- that's opposite to me like when i started like around the, the 2017 times um i was making what i will premium content so i was writing scripts and producing content in, in a professional way quote-unquote in an amateur professional way, I'll call it. Right. And, you know, and it's like, that hasn't helped me take off. Like, I've, I'm, I haven't even hit 300 subscribers yet. And I don't care about the numbers. But it's just like, okay, to what level do I need to put in effort at this small, small level mm-hmm. of, like, um, of building an audience before it's like, you sh- I don't know. It's just like, am I putting in too much effort for, for nobody? Like, the episode of, of a quote-unquote web series is not going to go viral, but a funny tweet will. And that's like, you built your personal brand on and built your audience on funny, funny tweets. And I think that more people would know the name Young Crip than they would Onwe, even though where, in a way, I'm, you know, I'm putting hours and hours and hours into like yeah. this 10-minute episode. Yep. And then you're putting, you know, putting in time to a tweet. I would not say that it's just like off the cuff. But it's like, do you know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. And I'm sure, and hours and hours and hours go into, I guess, the, the management of your personal brand and your Twitter and, you know, replying and all that sort of stuff. But it's interesting how two opposite ends of the spectrum and which one grows in a modern age and which one doesn't. TikTok's a really good example. You can get easily, you can easily become more famous just posting shitty, shitty TikToks rather than producing, like, putting thousands and thousands of dollars into these high-budget web series that I've made people make yep. with, like, a soundtrack and um, yep. really good sound and professional actors and blah, 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 and it'll get 10,000 views. And then you'll see a TikTok and it gets a million likes, which is not even close to the amount of views that you know it's getting for, for just shit. It's just interesting how content creation has changed. Oh, for sure, 100%. And that's, like, the thing that I seem a little conflicted on because you're right, 100% you're right. I made a TikTok uh, account a few months back, uploaded just a handful of 
old videos that I had on my phone that I was like, this would work over here probably. This seems like a thing I'd see on TikTok. Because I never really, I mean, I see the TikToks that end up on Twitter, but I never really went on TikTok. Um, so when I, when I uploaded them, in less than 24 hours, I had uh, a video that had a million views. And right. over a million likes. So, like, I, you're right. It's it's very easy if you know what you're doing and the humor that you're going for or whatever, in my case. Uh, but that also has a... It's a double-edged sword. Because it's like, if something is this easy to get, is it fucking worth it? Is it really the thing you want to be known for? Like, because I, I, all my all the replies... I, okay, well, let me just say this. The video that went viral originally on my uh, TikTok was the one with my brother when my backyard was flooded and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he threw the Xbox out into the backyard. Uh, and he was like, oh, I can't win at Fortnite. That was a dumb joke. It was fucking stupid. <laughs> um, mm. But literally, all the comments are just a bunch of fucking like eight-year-olds saying, that's an Xbox 360. You can't even play Fortnite on that. What? I don't get it. And it's like, that one, that's a part of the joke. Two, is do I want that to be my fan base? <laughs> you know? That's a thing. And, like, I think in, impressions mean, like, nothing. Nothing. To, like, do you know what I mean? It's None. like, if somebody sees a tweet, like, sure. But I think engagement is the 100% thing. It's, it's is, is somebody liking this tweet? Is somebody retweeting this tweet? Yeah. But even, like, with... um. Even liking something, I think people are more likely to like things on Twitter than they are on TikTok. It's just the way the platform works. Like with me scrolling through TikTok, I don't like TikToks ever. I don't think I've ever liked any TikTok. I, if I see a really funny one, I will save it and share it with my friends. Yeah. Um, Twitter's a different thing. Yep. You know, it's more like if I like it, I'll like it. Yeah. If I like it enough, I'll like and retweet. But then it's like, you know, you don't, you don't want to spam your own followers, blah, blah, blah. Like with TikTok, if you're liking it, it's just for your personal... Yep. You know, I lo- I physically like this thing. With Twitter, it's, you know, it's coming up on people's feeds and et cetera, et cetera. It's like it's the way the platform works. Exactly. I don't, I don't know. How did how did Vine work from not to, Wait, from your I, knowledge? It was essentially the same thing uh, as TikTok. It, it, like, that's, again, I think they just stepped in to be what Vine was. And that's a big part of the reason why the they saw a lot of success. Because originally TikTok was uh, musically. And that was just people lip-syncing over shitty music and whatnot. That was their thing. But then they found uh, a way around it, like people that used it, to just make funny little videos. And then that turned into, oh, so this is just Vine. And then they, they accepted that. So... You know, they, I think there was a big hole yeah, missing for Vine in a lot of people, and they just filled that. A hundred percent. And I feel like, because there's, TikTok is, like, there's two sides of TikTok. Like, there's the there's the funny side, and then there's the, I don't know, the, Cringe. what, the, the, <laughs> the mainstream side, I guess, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's the, and it's the kids, and it's the, like, it's the Charlie D'Amelio's doing her shitty little TikTok dances and all that sort of stuff. And then there's the... The memeable content, I would say. Yeah. Like it's, and there's and the, and it crosses over. It 100% does. And it's 
Um, you know what it I is? I think you can like both as well. Yeah, mm. for sure. You, you know, and you know what? It just hit me. You know what it is? Making a viral vine, or like uh, in this case TikTok, it's like having sex with a fat girl. Like it feels good personally to be like, yeah, this is happening. Dope. But like if you had to brag about it, to be like, oh, I'm a viner. Like, or like, oh, I'm a, I'm a TikToker. There's, there's a shame in that. There, you know, you don't feel good about that. <laughs> At least I don't. <laughs> it's a dirty word. It's a dirty word. Like nobody wants to say, oh, I make TikToks. Like it's, no. it's like it's taboo. It's like, it's exactly right. It's like having sex with a fat chick. You don't want to tell everybody <laughs> you've done this. You know, it's shameful. quite cool thing. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> um, that's it's interesting how, oh, it's like you. I've I've seen so many great creators on different platforms. Like YouTube is a different thing because it's like, well, actually no, it's not because I've seen so many great YouTubers, and then you go to their Twitter and they've got like no followers at all. Like there are only, to you have to be I don't know, like for example, um, Gus Johnson, huge yeah. YouTube, um, huge YouTube following, over a million subscribers. Yep. But then his base base. Um, followers you would say a hundred percent on tiktok on on sorry on um on twitter not mm. on instagram not on tiktok i don't think he uses tiktok but it's and then you see are who who am i thinking of it's one minute talk show on instagram oh These, yeah 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 they are great like they put out some great content and they've got a few hundred thousand followers on instagram and great engagement great likes great comments and then you go to their youtube and it's shit all it's it's really shit all. Like then they're putting so much more on there now. Yeah, right. But it's just not the content that people are going to YouTube to watch. I enjoy it because it's a great comedy content. But it's like it's really hard for creators for, to go from one platform to the other. Yeah, it really is. It, like, it, and that's oh, why I respect people like Gus and Eddie who can seemingly do those multiple platforms so well because they are genuinely talented people and funny you know like it's not so much about their content per se as much as it is about them and that's kind of cool and but also scary to me uh because i'm like i like that stuff but i also like having my own private personal fucking life you know i don't like i don't i don't want people to put me up on the pedestal or anything like that that's also a part of the existential shit with creativity that I'm having. I know the exact feeling. It's like, you want to have this, this balance. Like you want to have, and that's it. Like there was actually, there was a point in time where it was like, okay, while my Ennui brand is very important, my personal brand is very important too. Like people will come for my personal brand and they'll go, oh, he's making this thing and put it out. Yep. Um, and there was a long time I was like, okay, I'm going to try and post on Instagram specifically um, a photo every few days and it's going to have some sort of memeable caption or it's going to be a funny um, little short video or something like that. And it was just like, I'm putting so much effort into stuff I shouldn't be putting so much effort into yep. to an extent. Like it feels like, I don't know, like I feel like I could do that on TikTok and just post like short shit. Yeah. But it's like, then you can't repurpose. You could repurpose a TikTok on Twitter and it'd take off because it's like, that's the sort of platform Twitter is. But if I try that same thing on my personal Instagram, it's like, while this is my personal brand, different people are following and it's like, how do you make this, um, 
go off in the algorithm to the people who I want to see it, not just like people who I personally know and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's this whole headache. It's this headache of just, I just want to make, be successful. Yeah. And I want to be, and not even just be successful. It's like, okay, if I'm going to make content on these platforms or whatever, I want to make it good. I don't want to just like put out pieces of shit and I'm going to look back in a few months and go, delete, delete, delete. Like there's no yeah. point in doing that. Yeah. It's a waste of energy. Yeah. A hundred percent, dude. Because I've uh, even just struggling with, uh, this is just a therapy session podcast, dude. <laughs> uh, oh, it's good though. It's good to get it off your chest. Like I'm feeling the exact same way. Yeah. And you know what's fucked up is like, I've talked to so many different content creators on various different levels of success. And what's so funny is we all have the same anxieties, the same fears, and the same, like, things. At least the ones that I've talked to. And there's something human in that. Weirdly reassuring. In that, like, uh, you know, somebody with, like, millions of subscribers also has, like, the same night terrors that I do about this shit. <laughs> and, like, you know? I, I think that says something. Yeah. And it's it's funny that, and it's actually... It's very interesting. Over the past five years, it's like, you know, at the first I was like focusing on numbers and all that stuff. Like, I want to get subscribers. I want to get views. I need to put out regular content to get those subscribers and views. But 100% in the last year, the anxiety of um, making money necessarily and not just like, you know, going with the flow Mm -hmm. and reaching an amount of subscribers and all that sort of stuff. That anxiety is gone. The number anxiety is gone. But the productivity anxiety has just gone through the roof like oh, absolutely God, yeah. the, but it's like what do you do it's like how do you balance there's always going to be anxieties but it's like fuck i thought i get i got rid of one anxiety and another one just heightened by 200 percent. yeah it that's uh that that never goes away i feel there's never at this point all of my problems will go away and everything will be fine like because even if you got a million subscribers or, like, whatever it is you're achieving, it's just going to be replaced with a new set of worries, a new set of fears, a new set of goals that, you know, your brain is never going to just turn off and be like, yep, we're content. Because that's not... We're human beings. <laughs> we're we're just pieces of shit that are always worried about things. And that's just... That's life. That is, that's yeah. just human nature. Yeah. But it's like, I've, I've heard, you know, there's so many people who say like being um, not all anxious and nervous about stuff. Like that's the stuff that makes you achieve your best work a hundred percent. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's interesting that like, oh, what was I going to say? I've lo- I've lost my train of thought, but it was, it was something about putting in, putting in so much effort. And then like, okay, here's a good example. Um, at the end of last year, I, I produced season five of Marty's Net Show, four or five episodes. And like just after I filmed the last episodes, I moved and then I had to go edit them. And I looked at the content, I looked at my footage and I said, this is all right, sort of pretty garbage. I don't want to edit this. I know I can do better. Yeah. And that's what happens after every single video I make. I know I can do better. I'm proud yeah. of some aspects, but it's like, the the knowing that I can do better every time 
is a blessing and a curse. Yes. It's like, you know, you can't be proud of the Like Gary V, he's always about, it's all about the journey. Um, it's all about getting there. Like getting to the goal isn't going to make you necessarily happy. It's the things you achieve along the way. Yes. But I hate the things that I'm doing along the way. It's like I'm making this content that, you know, um, gives me experience, all that sort of shit. And that's the way I, I think about it now. I don't even think about it as putting out good content, some some of my older stuff. It's just putting out things to give me experience. And I don't know if that's a good way to look at it at all. It's hard to say, right? Because I, I, I don't know for me either. Every time I think I know, like, all right, this is the mindset I need to have. I go, I go with that for, like, a, a while, you know, maybe a few weeks, a few months, and then I hit this roadblock where I'm like, nope, <laughs> and I don't know. Uh, I, I want to say that deep down, numbers don't matter to me, but I hate to admit that they give me some sort of reassurance. Of like, okay, I'm 100%. doing something. This is, you know, I'm onto something here. So, a part of me is like, no, they don't matter. But in some degree, they they do to me, and I I hate it. <laughs> I I I want to get back to the point where I just do shit because it's fun, and I and I do. But now I'm trying to figure out where my fun has gone because there for a while I was um before the quarantine stuff went down, uh, I was about to get my stand-up comedy in-game and start doing Mm -hmm. that. And uh, obviously, with my condition uh, in particular, can't do that anytime soon. Uh, And that sucks. So, I don't know. Now I'm just kind of sitting and honing my craft until I can do any of that again can you transfer stand-up comedy in a traditional sense to an <laughs> online platform of some sort into some sort of online like it's a, it's a bit of a loaded question like you can of course but can you do it in a way that feels authentic to yourself exactly right because don't get me wrong i've made friends with a lot of comedians as of lately and i think we've all kind of collectively come to the agreement that Performing stand-up in its traditional sense is the most ideal and professional way of doing it because you, you the big draw for that is the audience interaction. You know, that immediate, like, you hear that laughter. You, you get the pacing right to your jokes, the delivery, and, you know, these things that reaffirm what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Where on the internet, stand-up comedy, if, if you were to say, like, stream your set on Twitch, um, that's hard because you don't get that, you know? I think being stand-up funny and being internet funny, completely different. And it's not to say that you can't do both, but they are different styles of humor. I do know that. 100%. And, uh, Definitely. There are some people that can do that very easy, and uh, that's great. But there are some people that are just made for YouTube, and that's it. I'm looking at you, Lily Sig. <laughs> so, and then it was, actually, I remember very specifically, like, um, 
a lot of the late night shows yeah. once they went to um to doing it you know from their own homes without an, an audience and they're trying to do their monologues and it's like you know they're doing pauses when the audience would laugh and well, there's no one to respond and they're not making they didn't adapt their monologues to the audience that is watching and that's no physical audience only one who's watching on a screen whether that is tv or on digital platforms and that's why those shows have just like dipped yeah. like 110 percent. some people have adapted very very well um i think conan was one who adapted very very well oh, from what yeah. i've seen the gym the jimmies have just like oh no they don't, i don't think they get it it's so it's so bad because you're right once people started doing their stuff from at home it really showed who i think relies on their writers versus who relies on their genuine sense of talent because uh lily singh as much as i give her and everybody gives her once she was performing at home and it felt more of a YouTube environment, whether it was for, you know, YouTube or not. In this case, it wasn't. Uh, for her late night show, it felt authentic because that's her niche. That's what she knows. Where Precisely. somebody like Jimmy Kimmel, they didn't do YouTube. They don't fucking... Like, that's the other thing. Majority of these high-budget paid millionaires, they're recording shit... At home on a fucking webcam from like 2003. And <laughs> no, no professional microphone. It. Like, what? I, I understand. You don't have to have the best equipment. Like, we all know that. But how you living in a mansion, dude, you can't get a fucking $80 webcam and like a, a ring light. Oh, it's ridiculous. And you've, like, I remember specifically, I've watched some of the recent um, videos from Smosh that they've just been putting out, um, doing it all through Zoom. And it's ridiculously good quality. Like, it's yeah. just adapting to the times. And they've done it very, very well. Um, I wanted to speak about Lily Singh a bit because yeah. I do not blame her for going, okay, I have a, a big audience um, and I want to break into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. But, and, you know, if she's given this opportunity. I'm, I'm sure so she's been trying to get an opportunity like this. A hundred percent. I am so sorry. No, that's all good. Doesn't worry me whatsoever. And our fans, they won't give a shit. But um, I don't blame her from wanting to like break in, like, you know, goals. Like she's, you know, she's achieved so much on the internet, wanting to go into the mainstream. But like, what do you, what do you do when you get there and how you adapt to that? Obviously it's all trial and error. She hasn't done it the best way. And that's just because she hasn't done it before. Yeah. And I just don't think that the people in mainstream, like, you know, the producers, the executives and all that have understood how to handle her and how to give her the opportunities to make money. Do you know what I mean? It's not all about, I don't think it's all about the, the, the producers and the creators and that aspect. I think it's the executives understanding how these things work. And even actually, no, I would say the producers because it's like, they should, they're there to help her. Yeah. And in the end, it's all about making money. It's all about getting yeah. ad revenue and brand deals and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you would think that she would have a better team given to her, provided to her. And maybe it's her fault from for not getting one or two people on board who understand the internet a bit better and to help her and her team, 
you know, transition better. I think there's, there's so many people at fault, but I don't blame her from wanting to, you know, after achieving so much internet success, break into the mainstream. There's nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely not. And I think at its base level, somebody in her position going mainstream ideally should be a big success for people like us that that start out here. That should be we should be in her corner uniting and being like encouraging towards her. Um of course. it just sucks because any criticism she does get, she seems to just sort of like, oh, they're just the haters. You know, she seems like she kind of surrounds herself with, with yes-men, I suppose. And you're yeah. right, too, though, with the producers and all the executives and whatnot, because it really does feel like all that happened was they saw somebody who would, who has been getting great success and has good numbers, uh, and is, for lack of a better term, a good market to nail on, mm. <laughs> because she's very pro, you know, LGBTQ, L, you know, all these other things that are, you know, make you look good if you put it up on the pedestal. Um, and not to say that she isn't talented to her own degree. I think she would transition well into mainstream if it was better done as you said but i mean anything works on paper if you make it make sense but no she she needs to she needs to have a better team behind her and she definitely needs to be a little bit more open to taking criticism as a comedian because it she does traditionally make the same fucking joke just in like you know, thirty different ways, and that's that's right. I, she's 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 not a good she's not a good comedian no. right now. I don't think I just don't think. And she's and as you said, she's surrounded by yes men who say, "Oh, that's funny." Um, if we make it culturally um relevant, it's going to be funny and it's going to resonate. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. I don't think that she right now she's a very good late night talk show host. No, and I'm not. I think that. She can be a great late night talk show host and give it a twist and not make her like because being a female Jimmy Jimmy Fallon or a female Jimmy Kimmel is not the way to succeed. No, um, like all the late night talk shows are different, like a hundred percent. Like they all have their own feel, and I feel like that she can be a great late night talk show host with her own feel and change the game by including internet humor. And that sort of thing in her content. I don't even think like internet, like while internet humor is its own thing, it's become a lot more culturally accepted yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think she can transition that aspect very, very well. Because Easily. I think there's like in history, there's a lot of people from who started on the internet who sort of like, you know, broke in the mainstream, the Lonely Island, while, you know, they were working in Hollywood, blah, 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 initially yeah. did break in through the internet. Um, I would even say Justin Roiland breaking, going from his like short animated clips to Rick and Morty, um, even psychic pebbles, like slowly breaking in with smiling friends on adult swim, which every single comment on any adult swim tweet or video is please, um, give smiling friends its first season. And like, I think that's a very good thing. Um, people can transition. Well, 
I think it's just like at the end of the day, you have to adapt to it being in the mainstream media. Like you have to, you you can't have, you can't have, you can't be in both. You know what I mean? You, you've got to adapt or perish. That's how it works. Like if you want to break into the mainstream, like to an extent that you have to understand that, yes, okay, I'm working in a business where the production is long. The, um, I might be, I might make something and it never goes on air. Yeah. I might spend a long, long time developing things and then executives go, no, we can't do that due to, you know, the FCC and all that sort of that, all that sort of shit. But that's the business you're trying to get into. And there's a lot more money in it. Yes, there is. And you can still do all your online stuff, blah, blah, blah. One person who's really inspired me lately, like I, for my inspiration, all that shit, I have a list of all these creators. It's like, what do I want to take from these creators? Cody Co is one of the big ones because it's like, okay, mm-hmm. he's got a regular Twitter presence and all that sort of shit, um, putting out funny tweets, all that sort of stuff. He's doing his regular commentary videos, which are, you know, he passes off to an editor. He spends half an hour filming, an hour filming, passes it on, uploads it, done. Doesn't make quotes or clips or anything like that. Like, cause he doesn't need that. Mm-hmm. Like while someone like me might need that to get traction, all that sort of stuff. He doesn't need that. No, he's big no, enough no. on his own. But then he's developing his own projects for traditional media. That's the best way to... I feel like that's the best way to do it. Keep yourself... Stay true to yourself in a traditional internet way. And then you can still grow. You can still pitch things to bigger networks, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like if you do it in the right way, people go, oh, look at this person who I love on the internet. They're getting their shot. Yeah. Exactly. I think Lily Singh initially had that, but then it's like, you know, she didn't take the criticism. She didn't manage the right way, and that's her, that was the problem. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know who I've been looking towards for inspiration? Who? As of lately, because, like I said, I've been diving more into this comedian stand-up realm more. It's always been a love of mine, uh, ever since I was in, like, middle school, really. Uh, I've loved stand-up comedy. But, uh, Bill Hicks, Ooh. he's, a uh, he's a comedian that I feel really far ahead of his time, uh, truly underappreciated, at least as of, like, my generation age, or even this generation, uh, far under the radar. Like, he, there's a story about him getting, uh, every comedian's dream at the time, uh, he had an opportunity to perform on David Letterman back in the 90s. Mm. And uh, he did a whole set, and it was brilliant, really good, dark, funny comedy. And he, uh, they didn't show it because it was too, quote-unquote, controversial or edgy, if you, if you will. And... Uh, they they pretty much told him, like, hey, we tried editing it as much as we could, but the set's just no good. And they were like, and he had this whole uh, monologue about it in his stand-up afterwards, because he was like, well, it was weird, because they said they knew who I was, and they approved the set that I did before I did it, but when it, it came time to showing it, they were like, no. It's it's too much, and that was his whole uh, kind of thing with mainstream, you know. He's like, I, I try, I keep trying. And he's like, I feel like I'm in a 
abusive relationship. Because even after that, I they invited me back, and I wanted to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I guess it's interesting. Like, what what year would that have been? So, like, that that's a part of the struggle I'm having now. It's like, what what do I want from any of this? Do I want, you know, my own Netflix special? Do I really? Do, do I want Comedy Central to hit me up? You know? Like, I don't know if I do. I just like making people laugh. And I like doing it in my own way without having too many restrictions or anything like that, obviously. I know there has to be some to a degree, but I don't know. I don't like having this uh, huge, you know, meet, meet, these, meet these quotas, don't say these things. Because as soon as somebody says, hey, you can't say that, the asshole in me is like, well, now I'm going to, and I'm going to make it worse. <laughs> See, it's interesting. Censorship is very, very interesting to me. The biggest, the biggest thing in my head was, for a long time, was how can I watch Breaking Bad, which is what MA. I think a lot of it was MA or whatever you, whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and you know, you can see. I think it was Walter White going up and spoilers, even though it finished many years ago. Yeah. Goes up and shoots someone in the face. Blah blah blah. All that. All that shit. But then I can't say, um, "Fuck you, you fat tard." Yeah. Without it getting demonetized completely, and it's like you know what I mean. Like, and even if it's like one is drama, one is comedy, one is um, like one is parody, one is satire, blah blah blah, all that sort of shit. But it doesn't matter on a platform that is supposed to be free um, speech. You should be able to say what you want, do what you want. Even if I say, "Oh, this is um, eighteen plus only," all that sort of stuff, it's like you know you can't get around the censorship. And I feel like if I can see ads that are playing on TV between uh, for the commercials on Breaking Bad and I get none. There's something wrong with that. Like there's a hundred percent, a hundred percent wrong with that. I, I just, I, I don't understand. Like I should, I'm not trying to make myself seem like, you know, um, and um, the content I put out is good and it deserves ads and all that sort of shit. But it's like in the grand scheme of things, I want to be like for content I make, it's like, okay, I want to, you know, be edgy and make the stuff I want to make. But at the same time, I want to, to an extent, be ad slash brand friendly that, you know, people won't be, and companies won't be afraid to come, in, to, come to me and go, okay, you have a sizable audience. Can you promote our product or can yeah. we sponsor your work and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, I think there's a fine balance. Like, if there's there's all this fucked up stuff, like even look, look at Adult Swim. There is so much dark humor. Oh, there I is so it. much fucked up humor. And I love it. I love it too. And that's I the thing. It, and if if Warner can if Warner can get advertisers and brands to put ads on that content, why can't we? Is it because like I just I don't understand. Like that's what I don't understand about YouTube whatsoever. It's really confusing, right? Because I you my philosophy on it personally is mm. uh, I think we all kind of agree uh, when it when it's said out loud. But nobody keeps it in mind at all times because truly and wholeheartedly no corporation, no business, no anything like that, mainstream, big-wise, actually has a soul. 
or feelings about anything. They care about making money above anything else. And that's why when they bring in people, it's because they know I can make money off of this. But it's also safe for them because as soon as any heat comes down on that particular person, they can be like, all right, nope, we have nothing to do with them. It's, and it's not because, oh, and they always release the same generic statement of here at blah, 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 we are very passionate about blah, 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 so on and so forth. We're listening, we'll learn, we're always adapting, same shit. It's empty, hollow words, because they don't care. Because it's easy for them to just walk away from it, and that be that, you know? It, it, caving into uh, that whole fucking cancel culture shit. And to some degree it's needed and warranted, I get it, but it's not always fair. No, not at all. And I think, like, especially with the times we are right now with Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's easier to turn a blind eye than to say something. And it's like, I don't think in the terms of cancel culture and... Um, censorship we will get to a point where something happens and then we have this big uproar it's not going to happen like that like it's not no it's not an issue that deserves that black lives matter is a whole different situation but it's like what can we do to get past this like i i think it would have to be that for youtube specifically somebody comes into power and changes the landscape they come in and go okay Look, we have a variety of different content on our platform. We have um, comedy content that is of this um, rating. We have comedy content of this higher, edgier rating. It might be for only 18+, plus, and that is fine, as long as everything is put into place. What's the difference between that and going onto Netflix and clicking on something that's G, and then scrolling down and then clicking on an R-rated anything? That's the thing. If the platform protects the people who it needs to protect, and YouTube has done that. They have a YouTube Kids app now. So the people under the age of whatever it is, seven, eight, I don't know what it is. But if people under that age are protected, sure, we're good. And then if people under the age of, between the ages of 13 and 18 are protected by, you know, you have to have an account, blah, blah, blah. There's always going to be ways to get around things, of course. For example, you can go on Netflix and use your mum's account to, to watch R-rated um, movies where um, someone's getting murdered or their throat slit or blah, blah, blah. There's always reins around it. Kids will be kids. That's just what it is. But, but that's the, the thing. The, like, I that, think you can... Is that hmm. you know, the platform's fault? Or is that your shitty parenting? You know? That's your <laughs> shitty parenting. 100%. But it's like, why can't you... I think YouTube would... That would make so much more money. A hundred percent. Like they're making a fuckload right now. But if you properly, if you properly monitor the things that like, like content, like what is in the content, like, okay, I understand hate speech gone, that there's nothing good about hate speech. Right. Um, there's nothing good about bullying. There's all that sort of stuff. There isn't to an extent when it is satire and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, blah, blah, blah. All these commentary channels having to go like, this is for entertainment purposes only, et cetera, et cetera. Please do not go and harass this person to an extent. 
I think that works, but I don't think that really helps the demonetization of it because it's that that's the one thing I don't like. It's it's very very black and white. It's too black and white. Yes. It's either demonetized or not. I think there should be a gray area. I think you should be able to rate your own content and if somebody and but still get it manually checked over. Um and then eventually channels get white white um what am I thinking of? Whitelisted. Yeah. So then a channel that is properly properly rating their content um, gets gets passed. I think that should be a YouTube partnership thing as well. You know, um, if you become a YouTube partner, you are able to rate your content. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you um, it 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 automatically gets whitelisted no matter what the content. Like, if you put it at this rating, it doesn't have to get manually reviewed. Right. <clears throat> and I think if we do that, I think if it is done in a way that because they would make so much more money. Like, there is. Oh yeah, there are so much more people who are over the age of eighteen than there are under eighteen. I think that's just a fact of you know the world. It would there's so much more money to make in adults, a hundred percent. Yeah, and it would definitely change the way certain content is made on the platform because whether or not we'd like to admit it, uh, there is a huge amount of people that get their following from uh, a lot of younger audience that are of older like people in their you know early mid-20s whose main demographic is somehow a bunch of you know 13 year olds so like that would definitely change a lot of the way toy channels work a lot of but in in a good way to me because i feel like all this is just personal you know you can have your opinion on the content that's fine but realistically I, i who Nobody cares that you're making a, a fucking unboxing of a Nerf gun video. Like, that's not groundbreaking or, you know, whatever. It's got its market, and that's fine. But I, I would much rather see somebody genuinely working hard get a million, you know, sub subscribers and have their ads than, you know, somebody like that. That's just me, though. Oh, 100%. I, I agree tenfold on that. Yeah. I just don't I don't think that YouTube's going to change. Like, I just don't think, you know, they're in, the, they're in the business of making money, but making money without making waves. And it's like, yeah. you know, if that's it- the business they're in, sure, go ahead with it. I think, like, just like how one of my favorite things in the world, professional wrestling, yeah. for the longest time, there was the PG era from 2010 to yeah, think about, like, yeah. a few years ago. And now, like, you know, it's only small, but um, like, blood is slowly coming back a little bit. Yeah, I've been saying the word bitch. Yeah, yeah, because I used to be super into like the Attitude Era in WWE, dude. That was my shit. Like as a kid, oh oh, my, my my favorite too. So fucking good. I don't care who you are. (laughs) And that's the thing. Like, I, I think it's like like these days, like especially the WWE, they've toned it down so 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 much because they're trying to appeal to investors and all that sort of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, good storytelling is good storytelling. And that's in wrestling. That's in any genre of entertainment. If it's good, it's good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I just just don't think people, um, I think that the big corporations, once it gets that big, it just goes, you know, it's all about the investors. It's all about the money. It's all about, you know, as I said before, it's all about making money without, rocking the boat without making waves because like that's the easy way to do it 
it's easy to, oh, if something does go wrong, oh, these persons are, this person's opinions don't match with the ideals of our company or the message of our company or whatever the, and it's fucking ridiculous. And I'm, I just, I don't understand it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like you're, you put in so much effort to build a big brand and then you don't, like you have power, you have influence and you're not able to use that, I don't know, for good. I feel like that there's so many large corporations that, I don't know, are able to support. See, that's what I like about Adult Swim. Adult Swim, are, um, they've never given a shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. obviously there's the FCC. Um, you know, you have to, you know, you can't make this joke, you can't make that joke, blah, blah, blah. But it supports exper- experimental content. It supports so much. It brings back some um, some classic shows. It's revived classic shows. I think it's the audience as well. Like, I've seen so many videos where it's like, well, of course, Adult Swim helped revive Futurama. Adult Swim helped revive Family Guy. Yep. Adult Swim has taken all these small shows, like home movies, for example, that so was on, I think it was UPN for like so one season. So fucking good, dude. So fucking good. And it's like, it's given this chance to, and to people who deserve it. And that's the thing. And like, oh, I don't know, like that's, that inspires me. And I never thought a company, especially a company that's owned by such like a, a huge corporation by like Warner, um, is making content that just feels right. It feels authentic. It feels like, you know, while there's all these professional things in place, it's authentic to the voice of the creators. Yeah, like this piece of content wasn't made with the intent of going, you know, viral or being hugely marketable. It's more made because these group of people were passionate for it and this network decided, yeah, fuck it, let's give them a platform for it. Because why not? That seems cool. And that shows. I, I It shows in almost everything Adult Swim does. And you're right. I do love it. And there needs to be more uh, big companies that come together. And whenever they do get in a little bit of controversy, companies need to start putting a foot down a little bit and being like, yeah, we hear you, but you're wrong. And this is why. And if you disagree, that's okay. That's within your right. But we're not caving in every time somebody shits their pants over something that isn't really that significant. 110%. I agree. Um, before we do end up summing up, yes. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to, okay, here's a hypothetical. An agent comes to you with a big company, whatever you want to call it, um, and then you've got this producer with, uh, he's got a, produ- a producer friend, blah, blah, blah. And they come with you with all this money. And it's like, okay, we're going to help you make a living off your, yourself, off what you want to make, whether that's making a TV show or a movie or doing stand up or right. doing this. And you're across them, across from them at a table. Here's, here's your budget. Here's your money. Um, you've got our support. We've got a bit of the connections that you need. Mr. Crip, what do you want to do? Oh, man. It's a loaded question as well, but so, it's like, it's it, it's interesting. I would probably want to do a, a, a miniseries of sorts, mm. something, because uh, I was really heavily inspired by a lot of different comedians, a lot of different um, passion for film, uh, humor, and uh, all these different things, and I want to 
find my own little way of combining all of that in one. Mm. And uh, I had an idea for a miniseries that I'm kind of writing a script for as of uh, the last few months. Just as a, I've been sitting on this. This is, you know, a passion project. Um, a little akin to something like um, the, that newer Pete Davidson movie that came out, The King of Staten Island, where it's uh, yeah. kind of more loosely based off of his life, you know, but it's still, like, good uh, and emotional but funny. I, 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 I'm a sucker. I'm a slut for that shit, dude. If it can make me have feelings and genuinely laugh, that, that's my brand. I love that shit. That's 100% good. I love that idea, actually. Because um, what I was actually thinking in general, I because you are such a, you know, I think that being a stand-up comedian is just in you. Like, I can see it. Yeah. I know you've experienced it. I know you love doing it. Um, just Louis in general, yeah. seeing him like the, you know, um, he obviously plays a fictionalized version of himself, but it's like based on his life and there's like stand-up routines mm-hmm. within blah, blah, blah. I always liked that idea of a, of a show. I think it's been like, you know, if Louis does it, you if you're going to do it yourself, you have to make it fucking special as shit. That's yeah. why I think, you know, that's a, probably a better example, King of Staten Island with Pete Davidson. I think that, and that's right. I think it's like, you know, I don't think comedy has to be comedy by, just by itself. Like that's why I I don't gravitate towards like the Big Bang Theory or Two and a Half no. Men or all those shows like no. right on. While it is like mainstream comedy, mainstream sitcoms. Yeah. I think something that can make you think and laugh by the end of it is great. I think it has mu- a much bigger impact on you, 100%. Yeah, it, it's something good for the the mind, the heart, and the soul, I feel. Like it's just that perfect trifecta of making you think a little bit giving you a nice little warm, fuzzy feeling, or maybe even not warm, fuzzy. Sometimes I think uh, good comedy drama really challenges you. It puts you in that position where it's uncomfortable at times, and you don't always like it. But that's kind of life. And I feel like comedy, at its core, comes from tragedy. And I know from my personal experience, I, <laughs> I a lot of people don't see it because I don't really show it a lot, but I have been in some very dark, very heavy moments, and I just, my, I, you could call it a defense mechanism, or whatever, but I just, I just laugh. I just make jokes about it the entire time, and it's, it makes other people uncomfortable, and because of that, it makes it more funny to me, and I, I don't know, that's just the way, and I like that, I think the world kind of needs more of that. I agree. I think it's, you know, um, laughter makes everything better. And I think it's like, especially when you go, because pe- some people go through some fucked up shit. And I think ju- just being able to look at it and just laugh, I think th- it just it just makes life easier. 110%. That is yeah. It. Yeah. Um, before we sum up, what... What do you what do you want to say to the people before we go? And you know, plug your Twitter, plug your whatever you want, anything. Yeah, uh, I guess any final words from this little uh, therapy session we've had here <laughs> is uh, it's okay to be confused. 
um, don't give up on yourself. Super easy. Take the time you need to explore your own inner feelings and philosophies on things that you're trying to achieve in life and uh, have fun. Above everything else, try to be a better person than you were the day before. And uh, do drugs. Fucking, they make everything great, <laughs> dude. It's so easy to just escape out of your fucking shit with a little bag of weed. Uh, follow me at Real Young Crip on Twitter. And, oh, uh, fuck. And uh, just give me, give me a follow. And I say some funny shit sometimes. So... <laughs> what a fucking good segue what an amazing amazing segue oh thank you for joining me on the podcast i appreciate that thank you for having me back man and i sorry it took forever but i will be back anytime you need awesome 100% on we talk is hosted by matthew winner produced by on we you can listen to the show on spotify or apple podcasts or watch it in its entirety at youtube.com slash TV one You can show your support by becoming an Ennui Plus member, where you get exclusive series and podcasts, early access, and member-only perks. Join us at ennui.tv forward slash plus. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.